Welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist, the podcast that's all about mental health. The goal of this podcast is to demystify therapy, humanize therapists, and destigmatize mental illness. If you're looking into the career of social work, you're going to want to listen to this two-part series, Becoming a Social Worker. Today, I talk to Elisa D., a licensed master social worker whose end goal is becoming a licensed clinical social worker. I hope you enjoy this episode of Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Thus far, you have heard a little bit about how to become a therapist in general, what to expect on your journey to becoming a therapist. However, we are now getting a little more specific. Hello, Elisa. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So just FYI, should I admit the thing about the closet? I'm not sure. Do people have to know this, you think? I I think they would be amused. Okay, so... (laughs) I those of you who bought t-shirts from me I really appreciate it because with that money I bought myself a small handheld recorder that's portable that I can take pretty much anywhere right now I'm using that recorder however we are sitting in my walk-in closet on the floor um Elisa's having her tea I have my little thing of soda oh I left it out there Um, But we're in my walk-in closet with lots of clothes, Um, and I got this idea from another podcast that I follow on Instagram, and I saw these two girls, how they um, record in their closet, so I thought it was hilarious, but then when I tried it with my recorder, it's kind of equal to recording in a recording booth, so it sounds really good. So if you hear my dogs barking, just don't mind them. Um, (laughs) So... How about you tell us a little bit about yourself, Elisa? Sure. Um, so like you said, I'm a, I'm a master social worker, and I got my master's uh, in 2015. And since then, I have been working for an, a nonprofit and serving victims of crime. So mostly, mostly children, but I see clients of all ages. So I wonder if maybe we should start with your particular journey because I think it's very interesting. So I I do have questions specifically about how to become a social worker, what to expect in that type of program of study or graduate school. Um, And we can cover all that and I'm sure we'll get to it. But I really would like to hear a little bit more about your career change because this interview is, I think, one of the first ones where we talk about a career change. In the other interviews that I've done over the past few weeks, we've covered how people have become therapists because it's kind of like they knew that's what they wanted to do and they kind of went for a degree in psychology. And so the most natural thing for them was to go get a master's degree in counseling. So this time with you, I think it's really interesting because you were a teacher. And so I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about that. I'm thinking about my own journey, and it's a little complicated, I guess. But uh, (laughs) uh, I I have a master's in um, German studies from Bowling Green State University. And I was originally supposed to go into a PhD program um, because I thought I would like to become you know, as work in academia, uh, which is both teaching and doing research. After I finished with my master's, I was kind of exhausted and mm, burned out. I can out. imagine. Yeah, because I went straight through undergrad and then straight through to a, a master's program, and then that program was halfway around the world. Half of it was halfway around the world in, in Austria. That was half of the program. The other half was in Bowling Green, Ohio. So... Um, when I finished that program, I came back to El Paso uh, because my family is here. So I came back and I was just really burnt out on studying and tests, you know, because as all of you know, who've been through graduate school, it never ends. It's uh, it's always something. You're always reading something. You're always writing something. You're always preparing for the next project, the next paper, the next class. I was also uh, teaching German. That was part of my um, stipend, I guess. My TA-ship was part of my funding, so I was also doing that. 
Um, and when I came back, I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but um, it just kind of, I just kind of fell into teaching sort of accidentally where a friend called me up and said, hey, there's two positions at this high school. Do you want to teach? And I said, well, I need a job. I have loans to pay back. I have, uh, um, you know, a car and, you know, things that everyone has to pay. Um, so I just, I said, yes, I went in for an interview. And really the way that teachers are interviewed normally is not the way that I was interviewed. Normally teachers interview in front of a whole like panel. Mm -hmm. They do a sample lesson and oh they go, gosh. yeah, they go through like three separate interviews, a lot of different interviews. Mm -hmm. And my interview was like one-on-one -on -one with the department chair and she was like, you're hired. And that's how I got my teaching job. It's partially because it, the semester had already started and um, oh. a teacher left suddenly in September. So this was at the all, this was at a district that has school year round. So September is about three months into the school year for them. Right. And uh, she just left suddenly. She just walked out one day and didn't return so oh wow yeah and like didn't uh, let anybody know like yeah nothing, like, like no notice and so these kids had, had a sub already for more than a month mm. and they were kind of like we need someone right away like they need to start now so that's kind of how I got that teaching job and so um I, I it progressed very quickly because I started off doing reading the first year as soon as that year was over, they moved me to um, senior English and um, advanced classes. I taught. I they moved me to teach the international baccalaureate program, which is a little bit like AP in that you get college credit, mm -hmm. but it's um, the te the way they test is much more rigorous actually than AP uh, because they test throughout the year and and there's a lot of different tests. Whereas in AP, you just take one test at the end. So you're 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 preparing them for a lot of different papers, a lot of different exams um, throughout the school year. So uh, I did that. So I taught for seven years, which is kind of a long time uh, to do that job. It's kind of a long. I mean, I never expected to do it that long mm -hmm. because from the beginning, I didn't quite feel that it was my thing. I didn't feel. Yeah, like well, it wasn't in your plan, right? Like. You had gone for a PhD program. What made you go for that, first of all? Like, maybe I should have asked you that earlier in the conversation, so, but... Uh, I was, as an undergraduate, I was part of the McNair program, McNair Scholar Program, which is a program that gets uh, minorities into higher education. Oh, okay. And um, so they prepare you by um, pairing you with a mentor, with a professor that is a mentor, and they teach you how, how to write a thesis. And they mentor you through the process. So as an undergraduate, I wrote two honors theses and, uh, and it, um, in history. And so a lot of my research, you know, I was doing already, I was doing all the stuff. My research was half in a foreign language, half in English. And I put these papers together and it just suited me. I liked the, well, basically I liked the research and I liked the reading and the writing and the process. But I mean, it was a lot of work, but so... This program kind of prepared, and they t have you take the GRE every week, which is not a fun thing to do every Saturday, mm. but you just do it a lot, and you do it over and over again, because, you know, as you know, um, minority populations are at a disadvantage when it comes to standardized testing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, those Definitely. kinds of exams. So they prepare you a lot for it. They teach you kind of how to play the game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after I went through that process, I got funding... I got full funding at a university to pursue my uh, master's in uh, German and history. Okay. So originally, you had been mentored, and you're like, yes, I want to go through higher education. Mm -hmm. um, you took the GRE. You did all the preparatory things to get your master's degree, and then your plan was to go into a PhD program. Was it that you wanted to be in academia like you wanted to yeah, teach or I thought so I thought I would be in academia I thought I I thought eventually I would teach but I didn't think I would teach at a high school mm. you know so I mean it's just a much different the you have more academic freedom when you teach at a university as opposed to teaching at a public school okay so and obviously the population's older and 
everything, I mean, it's different. The only thing in common is, well, you're teaching in both jobs, but, you know, you you're, you do other things, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you became a teacher. What What do you think it was that made you be like, you know what, I'm done with this? And, like, if other people are listening to this, right, mm-hmm. and they're like, hmm, well... I'm currently a teacher or I'm currently mm-hmm. doing something that either I just fell into or maybe right. they did have a plan for that. Right. But there, there's something about that job that either, you know, bothers them or makes them feel like, what, this is not for me. It's not what I thought it was. Right. And they want to make a career change. And they've kind of been thinking about either becoming a therapist or a social worker or something like that. What was your kind of... Not like last straw, but what was it that made you switch? I think it's not a secret, nor am I saying anything controversial when I say that. Teaching is a, is a profession that is losing teachers left and right. Um, they're losing their most experienced people and their strongest teachers because um, it's just extremely hard work for... Um, well, for anybody to do. And and it's not just that the work is very hard, but you are not supported by administration as you should be. You're not giving the resources that you need all the time as a teacher. Um, You know, they are overworked and overloaded. At one point I had, um, I remember towards the end that I was teaching, I had so many students in one class that there were not enough desks. So I had about 36 kids in one class and they just kept walking in that first day. And I was like, what is happening? I I know I didn't have any more desks. I had them sitting where they could. I had a shelf against like it's not a bookshelf, but it's a built in shelf. I mean, a really sturdy shelf. It's not like (laughs) it's not like a bookcase. okay? but uh, they were kind of sitting on that. I had them sitting everywhere and then like on the floor. And it really wasn't because, you know, I wanted to make kids sit in strange places. No, but there were no desks. There were no more desks. They had just put so many people um, into this one class. And and that was part of the problem is they wouldn't balance class loads correctly. Um, So there was a lot of stuff going on. And, and, you know, the environment was also... I had some colleagues that were excellent. They were great teachers. They loved being there. You could tell they were, they're amazing human beings. And then you also have people who are so incredibly burnt out that they become very toxic. And mm. all they say, um, all they talk about the students in a very negative way. They talk about um, teaching in a very negative way. And, and, I'm not, and that's not everyone. It's certainly, I'm not here trying to bash any teachers. In fact, to this day, I'll say to anybody, that's the hardest job in the world. You know, um, but they're so overworked and overloaded that at some point they can no longer handle it, and so they're coping um, any way they can. And sometimes that means venting all day in between classes um, in a very negative way, in a way that's not healthy. But they kind of don't know what else to do. The system is broken, and the way things are, I guess, divided up or de- delegated or allocated or whatever, it's just not optimal so teachers get burned out I mean they're humans too and there's limits and I think a lot of those limits are you know like pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed right right? like let's just see how many more kids we can squeeze in there how many more things we can squeeze into this person or that person and so at some point everybody's working at like above capacity and so of course they're going to be burned out and right cranky and grumpy and you know like toxic like of course yeah you have to have such a high level of energy by the end of the day my throat hurt my voice was giving out um i was exhausted and it got to the point where by the end of the day i was like there's that's the stuff on the board that's what we're working on get started you know and it's not fair to your last period it's not fair but you're in survival mode and you're just trying to get through the day and i just remember not having any energy at all by by the time four o'clock came around i was done oh my god yeah yeah 
it is pretty clear, like, why you would want to switch to something else. I mean, because, first of all, it wasn't like, oh, I plan to be a teacher, and this is going to be so great, and then you were kind of, like, disenchanted or something. It was like, well, I'm here, I have to be doing something, like, I have to have a job, like, I have to be doing these things, um... And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But then instead of them trying to keep you, like retain you as like a talented person, like you're a well-studied person, like you're an educated person. And it sounds like they made no real effort to like work with you and keep you. Um, So then, you know, what what were you supposed to do? Like just take it? You know what I mean? Like that's just not sustainable. And that's another thing that I in the seven years that I was teaching, that's a that's the thing. It's like every year it got worse. And there was never a year where you were like, Oh, things are getting better, like they're changing, they're improving. You know? It was like every year another task would be added on top of your tasks. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and now you have to also do this every day, and now you also have to do this every day. And actually, when we're having this, these conversations about mental health in schools and stuff, um, I read an article. It was a, I was still in graduate school for so. Uh, it was uh, when I went back to school for social work. They were there was a lot of talk about having teachers keep an eye on the mental health of students, like screen for red flags and stuff. And in my mm-hmm. head, I'm going. No, you can't add more to teachers' load. Like, they can't screen for mental health. That's not... I, I understand that maybe you go, yeah, they're, they're, they see the kids every day. They're at the front lines. But you can't um, make them responsible for everything because they have already got so much to deal with, you know? Mm-hmm. They're already trying to do their test scores and... Um, trying to differentiate their teaching for the kids who are at risk or this kid learns like this but this other person learns in a different way so they want you to teach everyone differently and it's just it's great in theory and I agree with the theory Mm -hmm. but when you have a classroom of 36 students how do you teach in 36 different ways in one class period and then on top of that like make sure that their mental health is okay yeah exactly yeah that's a lot to do and I the concept, I think, would be, so they're, they're thinking, okay, so kids go to school every day. Teachers have contact with students for hours on end every day. So since they're there, log- logistically, they have the most face-to-face time with this child, meaning they're more likely to pick up on changes in their mental right. health or their behavior or whatever. But... A teacher's job is not that. A teacher's job is to teach. And so it's like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, right. something's got to give at some point, right? Because right? it's, it's like they're spread too thin. So there's like, in Texas, where we are, there's like standardized testing. I think that's everywhere, right? I think so. So Although like some states are starting to do away with it. They're trying to. But only a few have succeeded so far. Okay. So yeah, like we still have standardized testing where we're teaching kids to answer certain ways for certain tests and things like that, right? So there's pressure on teachers to you know, perform a certain way so that their students also perform a certain way. And then there's consequences, right? Like mm-hmm. for teachers if they don't get high enough sure. scores and yeah. stuff like that. And you would find out pretty quickly who the teachers were with very low um, test scores because Mm -hmm. suddenly like I taught all seniors right so my generally my students did not take the test but suddenly I got a random 10th grade class slipped into my my load Mm -hmm. because I don't know I guess that one teacher wasn't performing and they tried to give her something else that wasn't testing and then they try to give it to the teachers that they knew were higher performing. Okay. Um, but I already, like I said, I taught advanced classes. So my students didn't um, didn't take the standardized test, but they took the, the advanced, call it the IB test. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you would find, because then you would suddenly get a random. The 10th grade is AYP, which is the most important um, to high schools, the year that counts, right? So 10th graders are the ones who have to perform very well. Mm, okay. The funding of schools depends on 10th grade. Um, te- wait, they don't call it tax anymore. Star, star, t- 
test. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm like, sorry. It's been a while. It used to be TAS <laughs> and then TAX. Yeah. And now, and now it's star. star. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I can imagine how just that system, it's like it's this trickle-down effect yeah. of, like, pressure and just these... I don't know, like unrealistic expectations with not enough resources to help you. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine how burnout, it, that's a recipe for burnout for sure. Oh, yeah. And I'm kind of amazed that a lot of teachers, you know, they're still surviving and they're doing yeah. that kind of thing. Like, and th- I think that just speaks to like the fact that I wouldn't be able to do something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's no, it's too overwhelming. Like, nope, I would have left too. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's really hard, and and I've said this before. Like, I had no energy. It was really bad, actually, for my health personally. Mm. Um, I I guess I coped by just I I would eat out a lot. I would because mm-hmm. I had no energy to make any food whatsoever, and I wasn't you know I wasn't working out. I wasn't really taking care of myself in the way that I needed to, and I it's kind of like when you're in it, you know something's wrong, but you don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you're like in the fog of I'm trying to function, I'm going to work, I'm trying to survive, and you don't know what's wrong, but you're exhausted all the time, and you're, you know, you just feel horrible, mm-hmm. but you don't know exactly what the thing is that is wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, work, you know, it's a lot and it's too much, but everyone else feels the same way you do, so it seems normal. Mm. So everyone else is stressed. And everyone else is has no energy, and everyone else feels terrible. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, I guess this is how it is, you know? Like everyone, like it's normal for everybody yeah. in the system yeah. to be functioning at that level. So it's like something's wrong, but everybody's like this. So this is normal, right? But is it bad? <laughs> yeah. But something's wrong. Yeah. So you just kind of go through this like yeah thinking. Um. So. So then that was it. Was that it for you? You were like, I need to change my career. Like, well, yes, or- I, you know, I had a lot, I had people when I started thinking about leaving and it, it just kind of, you know, the uh, cycle of change where you're in pre-contemplation and you're just running things through your head and maybe you sit, start saying a couple of things out loud. I actually had a lot of, and I'm telling you, this is the, again, there are some really great teachers that really love what they do and they put all of their heart and soul into it. But there's people who are just kind of waiting their time out also, you know, and those people would be like, well, you've already been here. Well, if you pass the five-year mark, you're considered kind of a veteran. (laughs) So they would be like, you've already been here five years. Why quit? You might as well just go for 20 and retire oh my god and 15 people, more years yeah, and people would say that to me and people would be like why are you gonna change like you you can just stay oh, here and retire from oh, that's that. sad. <laughs> yeah and they would just tell me stuff like that and i mean <laughs> i would i would hear it and i would listen but i've i've never been afraid of change because i moved so much in my life mm-hmm. you know like I was constant. My family was constantly moving, so change for me was constant. So you're like, I'm okay with this. Like I'm not this creature of habit who like lives yeah. in this same spot all the time in my right. life, and I have to have this routine. You're yeah. like, I can change. Like yeah, I deal. was in, like, the, I think the only reason it took me so long is because I couldn't figure out what the thing was mm-hmm. that I wanted to change to, and I kept thinking. You know, what should I do? Do I do I go be in the library? You know, do I become a librarian? Do I um, try to become... Well, you like an, to read a lot. Makes sense. This is true. I, yeah. I am well read. I yeah. loved, by the way, I loved the library at the high school. I was there all the time. Got to check out all the books for as long <laughs> as I wanted. Yeah. It's amazing. It's cool. But, um, and I think that was, I read so much when I was teaching. And I think that was another coping skill. Mm-hmm. And I've realized now that my reading has dropped a lot, mm-hmm. but I think it had to in order for my life to be more balanced. Mm. But anyway, it was like too much yeah, of it was too much of something. Yeah. But anyway, so I couldn't figure out the thing. I knew I needed a change, but it, it was taking me a while because I couldn't decide. Well, what is the change that I need to make? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I kept thinking about different options and exploring them, and I would see. Well, what do I have to do to do this and this and just trying to explore different avenues but actually I was going to see a therapist myself I was in therapy 
and she kind of was like, I'm not, you know, you kind of don't need to come anymore. Like, you know, you're doing really well and we've kind of worked through everything we wanted to work through. And I said, yeah, I know. The only thing is, like, I can't figure out what to do. Like, I know I don't want to stay in that job, but I'm having trouble figuring out how to change my career. And and she said, uh, she said to me, you know, I, th- I actually think you'd be really good at this. Mm-hmm. And by this, she meant, like, therapy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stopped and I kind of thought about it. Like, I had, it hadn't occurred to me. Um, because, I don't know. I just thought there's no way I can do this. That I thought I'm going to need a completely different undergrad. I have the wrong undergraduate degree. I have the wrong graduate degree. It had never occurred to me for those reasons. And so, but once she said that, that got me to start doing research. Mm-hmm. How how do people do this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. And once I started doing that, I realized, oh, I could be I could be a social worker. And the reason that I chose social work because I looked into counseling as well. Um, well, there were actually a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons was that I felt that I couldn't move as a teacher, that I couldn't really move, I couldn't change. Mm-hmm. I could teach something else, but I would still be teaching in the classroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? I felt yeah. there wasn't enough mobility, and I was like, I don't want to make that mistake ever again where I feel kind of trapped. Trapped, yeah. Right? Well, I know, yeah. So that's why social work looked better to me personally, because social work gives you so many options. True. Once I learned that social workers are in hospitals, they're with the VA, they can be in a school, I mean, they can be in a lot of... I can do casework. I don't have to do therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, I can do very different things with social work. And I thought to myself, if it turns out that, you know, therapy is not right for me or I am not right for it, Mm -hmm. I can go do something else. That's true. With the same degree. Trap yourself, like pigeonhole yourself or whatever into something permanently. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And 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 that is what I really liked about social work is that it was so diverse, mm-hmm. and I felt it fit me because I'm very diverse and I'm very I have a lot of interests and I have a lot of things that I like and mm-hmm. and I'm very flexible as mm-hmm. well. So that's why I thought it fit me personally better. And I think it's not that just that you're flexible, but I think it's how you function. Like there's a difference between I think like oh you're a flexible person you can adapt right right but also if you're so used to like having to adapt and you're good at adapting then it's almost like I've mastered the art of adapting yeah and so I need to be in a job where I can adapt yes and like change and have Mm -hmm. all of that stuff and all that variety because it's not just that you are you have this characteristic like oh I am a flexible person it's more like that's your MO, like that's how you function, and so I'm good at it, and so I need to have variety like, right. in my life. Yeah. Yeah, and teaching, that's pretty much it, like for the rest of your life, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, my sister is a teacher, and she's been teaching, I don't know how long, probably mm, 15 years, something like that. She's very close to retiring and stuff, but, um, I don't, I don't really have conversations with her about like, oh, like, what'd you do today? Or what'd you learn today? Or like, hey, how's it going at work? Because it's kind of like the same answer. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean to insult her. I think that there are some people who are made for that kind of thing. Like my sister, like she's very structured. She has a routine and she has like, that's just how she functions. I cannot do that. Like nope yeah no so i admire her for that and that's awesome and that's like a different skill set and it's a different way to function but yeah it's not for everybody so yeah so then you're like okay so it kind of struck you as like inspiring um that social worker happened to make that comment to you actually she's uh she's not a social worker oh oh she's not she's uh she's an lmft Ah, the yeah. LMFT, okay. Yeah. So this LMFT made this comment to you, and I wonder what your life would have been like if she had never said that. That's a good question. I really have no idea. I mean, I think I had briefly considered what if I become a counselor, like, at the school. And yeah. I think I had kind of looked into that a little bit. But But she did turn on a light bulb in my head, and I went, 
why didn't I think of that? It's almost like the answer was right in front of me, oh. but I couldn't see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I was like, well, but no, I don't think I want to be an administrator. It's like, where's Waldo? <laughs> and like somebody yeah. sees Waldo and you don't, and yeah. then they're like, well, it's right there. And, and the, <laughs> but tell me if that is not really what a therapist does, kind of point out sometimes the obvious to people. Yeah. And they keep telling you, right? And yeah. you, you like, hear. Hello. <laughs> Yeah. And you kind of hear the theme very clearly of what they're trying to say or what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of clarify the message for them just like, a little bit. Click. And then uh-huh. they're like, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think she did that for me because she knew I didn't like this job and, and that I kept trying to change it. And I wasn't and I kept exploring and I kept kind of running some things by her. But when she said that, it really made me stop and think and I don't know. I'm I'm hoping I still would have figured it out because if not, who knows? Maybe I'd be a librarian right now, which is hey, I love the library. That's not an insult, um, but but maybe she did. Maybe I was supposed to hear that from her. You yeah, know? yeah. I almost feel like now that I've talked to different people about their own careers in therapy and how they started, there have been these little like serendipitous like. Like, these moments where either somebody said something to them, um, or they stumbled upon it, like, when they walked into a building, or, you know, their parent mentioned it to them, or in a psychology class they said something, and they're like, oh my god, and it's like that moment, yeah, you know, and I think, I don't know if maybe it's like that for everyone in, like, whatever career they're in, but I feel like for therapy... It's almost like this, like, seed that somebody plants, and it's like, it, you have to want it to grow. Right. Because it's a lot of work, right? Oh, sure. Here's the other, the other thing that played a role is that I went to the depart the College of Education at mm-hmm. Utah. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get, oh, they wanted me to take undergraduate teaching courses. They wouldn't let me into the uh, master's program without undergraduate teaching courses and at this point I had been teaching for five years I'm like why do you want me to take an undergraduate teaching course when I have five years experience and I'm teaching in uh, advanced classes yeah of which there were only at that time only two schools in El Paso had that program Uh right so and when I hit that roadblock because I had been kind of weighing like social work or counseling mm-hmm. but when I hit that I, I refused I was like I'm not going to take undergraduate teaching courses at this time you had already had two <laughs> master's degrees right? no I had oh, one at that you had time. one at that had time. one time yeah and, but he but wanted, still yeah but he wanted me to take these undergrad I understood the prerequisites for my program it was like I had to take uh, the biology for science majors I understood that because I never took biology for science majors right Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. was i'm like i'll admit i know nothing about that i'll take it Mm -hmm. right but when you're asking me to take a class undergraduate class in the profession i've been teaching for five years um no (laughs) (laughs) not gonna happen no so that was was their goal with that like for to make sure that you knew like theories like fundamentals but like that's dumb because you had been successful for five years so it's like Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. It's because I didn't have a teaching degree. I see. Because there are always obstacles in every career path, right? And, like, with social work and counseling, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, but not necessarily, like, 10-foot walls. You know what I mean? Like, where you know that you're not going to be able to get over it or you don't want to. Like, I am not doing that, you know? Well, and I need, you know, and, and this is something that, I think later on in the program, some people were like, what? Once I was in the social work program, but I started submitting my information while I was still teaching. I started applying. I started this. I Mm -hmm. asked for the prereqs, and I actually took the prereqs before I sent in my application for the social work program. I took all three in the summer while I was off from school. So I took all my prereqs. The year before I was going to start So you the researched the program. Yeah. You looked up the prerequisites. So this is important information for people who are listening. So, like, if they want to make a career change and it's something different from what they had studied right. originally and they have to get into a master's program for social work, 
they should look up the prerequisites because that was helpful. Yes. Then, then you prepared yourself by taking those prerequisites that were missing. Yeah. And then you applied. So most people in my program ended up taking the prereqs the first summer while they were also taking social work classes, uh, which just made life so much more stressful for them. I mean, they were able to do it, but it's like added on coursework, right? Right. But yeah. I knew, I knew I was going to be in this program. Do you know when you just know you're going to? Like, they're not going to say no, I'm going to do it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I, know I knew I was going to be in that program and I had already looked at, well, the, fir- the, the first summer is, has, or the first fall has so many classes to take. I'm not going to be doing that and then doing two biologies and the statistics. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So I took it the year before, (laughs) sent in everything, and I actually put in my letter, you know, uh, that I had already taken all the prereqs Mm. when I applied. I put that in my letter as well. So, yeah. So, like, in your letter of interest or your cover letter, your statement, your personal statement... Like, by the way, I know I'm going to be in this program, so I took the initiative to just get these out of the way, because I know you're going to require them of me, so I'm going to just do it. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. You're like, here you go. I knew I was going to be in the program, so I thought I might as well just do it. Yeah. Just get it out of the way. Like, just do it. Okay. That's cool. When I interviewed some people, the MFT people, um, a couple weeks ago, they were talking about taking an inventory of your life. And like, what is it that you want? What is it that you don't want? Um, what kinds of personal characteristics are going to fit with your career? What kinds are not? And it sounds like you did all those things. Like, you saw your current career or the the career you were at or in at that moment. And you're like, nope, not for me. But now I've got to get out of here. Right? So, yeah. You made a switch, but it was an informed decision. It wasn't like, I'm just going to go be a therapist. Yay. No, like you had to do research. You had to look at prerequisites. You had to look at kind of like what the program was like. Um, You kind of had to understand that social workers do this and do that. And they're pretty versatile and they can be in any setting. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah. I like options. Yeah. And you have to know that, like, before you go and get a degree in social work. Because what if, like, for me, I don't like that concept. Like, I like options, Mm -hmm. but the non-clinical work for me is just like, meh. Like, I could do without it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go and, like... Not that I don't have that lens or I couldn't learn it, but I just didn't want to have to formally get that part mm-hmm. in my degree. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like how it's implanted in social work, like social justice and policy right. and all that stuff. And I was just like, I can just learn that along the way. But instead of just being like that, like that kind of well-rounded, I wanted to be like clinically well-rounded. Right. So I knew like, yeah, once I'm in this, like, that's pretty much it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. once you're... An LPC or, like, a LMFT or something like that. Like, that's pretty right. much... That's it. Like, yeah. you know for sure. You know what I mean? But everybody's different. So I think it's pretty cool that you found something that was... That matched you. And so you thought about it. I just... The thing that I think I'm trying to convey in this series of podcasts is that... Becoming a therapist or a social worker or... Um, you know, in a helping profession, like you have to really know what you're getting yourself into and you have to want it because there's a lot of hoops. Oh yeah, I agree. So I got into the program Mm -hmm. just to not skip. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But finish telling us the story. (laughs) I did get into, uh, I got into the program and stuff and I waited till, cause you, if you tell people you're leaving at a school, Mm -hmm. they'll take away all your advanced classes and they'll give you classes you don't really want. Mm. <laughs> so don't tell people, teachers, if you're going to change your career, keep it to yourself until the last minute. Oh, dang. So That's important. Once okay. I, I had everything and I knew for sure I was going to quit, uh, I handed in my letter mm-hmm. literally on the last day of school. You're like, here you yes. go. <laughs> Very and smart. It's, and uh, it's funny because I was taking things home, but like, months in advance so people couldn't tell i was like taking one thing home like one little plant yeah like one little plant 
a pencil. Love my, I take like one poster down. Those posters, they were, you know, all my stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. not school stuff. But everything that was mine, I was like taking one frame at a time and, <laughs> you know, little things. And yeah. so by the end of the school year, my classroom was empty. Like, how did she. <laughs> She moved. Did she come in the middle of the night and like take everything? <laughs> it was hilarious because some people, uh, yeah, because nobody knew. And they were like, "What?" Because when I I turn in my letter to the principal and then I'm walking back down the hallway, yeah, I was kind of going like, "Bye forever. I'm not coming back next year." I was telling them, and they were all, all my colleagues were staring at me like, "What?" Like, are you serious? <laughs> they were yep. shocked. They were yeah. pretty shocked. Uh, most of them were pretty shocked. And they were. most of them were like, good for you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, so I left. And I, I never looked back. And I've never had a moment where I thought that was not a good decision. I've never had a moment. And it was interesting because as soon as I started the program, the social work program, I started dreaming about teaching. So the whole time I had been teaching, I used to never dream about it. When I started social work, I started having nightmares about teaching, like, frequently. Yeah, it was like all the stress was finally being processed when I once I got out of it. Out of the system. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, my God, dude. You think it was traumatizing? I It was traumatizing. Oh, boy. It was stressful, yeah. 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 And then all the, um, you know, um, what do you call them? Lockdown drills? We had some serious lockdown drills with simulated shooting sounds and banging, and it was so... Now now that I do this, I'm like, oh, it was so not trauma-informed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But at the time, I was just like, wow, I really don't like the simulation that we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was stressful. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I was in the program right away. The first summer was extremely challenging so like right after oh. you left school it was like summertime it's like okay now yeah. starting yeah so you started the program you started summer. immediately okay. i quit i quit on a saturday because you have to work that first saturday when you're out of school um oh, everyone's weird. kind of cleaning their classrooms oh, and okay. stuff like that getting things done last minute things turned in um and i started monday started right away okay so how did you sustain yourself like did you work part-time so i had saved some money i'd been saving for a while but most of it was from uh student loans okay yeah student loans so i think people need to be prepared for that right oh yeah definitely especially if you have like i had a house I have a, I had a mortgage. I still have a mortgage. I, I had a mortgage to pay, and I <laughs> yeah. still do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I paid. I made sure my car was paid off before I quit. I uh, uh, started budgeting more seriously. Yeah. Um, so all that all that stuff was stuff I had to take care of before. But yeah, I I just quit, and I I well, I didn't quit until I was sure my financial aid went through. <laughs> Oh, I didn't quit my job until that part went through because I was like, otherwise I can't sustain it, right? But yeah. once all of that stuff went through, then I I handed in my letter. So you were calculated about it. Oh yeah, it wasn't like willy nilly. Oh, I no. quit. Let me go apply. <laughs> oh, Let no. me wait and see if they accept me. Like, oh no, and like... this is why I didn't tell anyone either because if they had said you can't get you can't get loans or you're not in the program or whatever, you know, obviously it would have been a bad idea to tell people ahead of time I'm not coming back. Oh, yeah, because then it would have been like, oh, you have to put your foot in your mouth. Yeah. Like, great, well, I'm here again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you never know what's going to happen. So that's interesting. So then, okay, like, now you're here, you're working towards your clinical license. Can you talk to us about the difference between LMSW, how you get your LMSW, and then how you get your LCSW? So if you're an LMSW, then you have a master's in social work. Okay. Well, then you're an MSW. And if you want the L in front of it, um, which, according to my professors, you are not allowed to call yourself a social worker in Texas unless you are licensed. So unless you have the L in front of your MSW, you can't say, I'm a social worker. You're not supposed to, no. Oh, okay. But I, I do know some people in the city who... Um, call themselves social workers and there's they never took the exam the licensing exam okay so to become 
an L MSW, you have to take an exam. Yes, you do. Okay. To be licensed in the state of Texas as a master social worker, mm-hmm. you have to take an exam. You know, you pay the fee, you take the exam. Is it and, hard? Um, I mean, I didn't find it too hard. Mm-hmm. But I've always been a person that did pretty well at those tests. Yeah. I also like you're took, a good test taker. Yeah, I took yeah. my teaching because I don't have a degree in teaching. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't have an undergraduate degree in education, mm-hmm. um, but I took the content and the pedagogy exam, passed it the first time. I didn't even study, really. Yeah, but, I was uh, just like, yeah. I, but um, I did have some friends who did struggle with it. They mm-hmm. didn't pass it um, the first time. So I don't know. I think that um, you should probably study a little bit for it, but I don't think you have to worry too much about it. Okay. So you take your tests, and you can be an LMSW. Yeah. Um, you probably have to send in an application. Sure. And yeah. a fee and all that, so you can get your certificate. Right. Um, and as an LMSW, you can stay that way, mm-hmm. right? Like an yeah. LMSW for the rest of your life. Sure. You can just do that. Right. Um, or you can do the clinical route, which is something that you're doing now, right? Right. Like you're trying to get to the C. Right. So I'm I'm in the process of completing my... 3,000 hours to become a licensed clinical social worker um, so that in the state of Texas you can uh, work independently if you want to um, and be credentialed if you want to. So you can bill, basically. For therapy. For therapy, mm-hmm. yes. Um, the thing that I don't know about that maybe I should probably ask now since I have you here is do people... So I remember a while ago when... I was trying to find a job. I had lost my job in 2012, had a master's degree, provisionally licensed. I had the LPC intern license, which is kind of like an LMSW, I guess, but that's not like a fully sustainable license on right. its own, right? Like you have to, that expires at some point and you sure. have to make a decision if you're going to get fully licensed or not. Right. Other Otherwise, you just have a master's degree in counseling. It's just not. You know, you can't do anything with it. But it was hard for me to find a job. And I remember going to, like, the VA website and the .gov's website and all that stuff because I needed a job. And I was like, oh, my God. So even, like, through the city, they would look for LMSWs or LCSWs and really didn't take LPC interns. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, interesting. So LMSWs can do therapy, right? So, like... Tell me a little more about that, because that confuses me, because I'm like, okay, wait. Like. Well, I'm not sure that they can do therapy, though. I mean, unless they're under someone else. Um, you can't independently do therapy. Um, like a private practice or Yeah, something. you can't have a private practice. Okay. So I'm thinking if they're doing... You, you know, they may not be working there as an LMSW for therapy. I mean, they may have positions open. It may not be to be a therapist. Okay. You know what I mean? It could be something else. It could be something else. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that as part of the job description, they're going to help you get your LCSW, which is in my mm-hmm. current job description right now at the moment. That clears it up. All right. I was just wondering. Um, so LMSWs can be working toward their LCSW, and that's when they would probably be practicing therapy, because you have to right. get hours, right? Yeah. So the 3,000 hours that you're talking about, are they divided up into different categories, or is it just 3,000 hours of work in general, mm-hmm. or how does it work? Yeah, so it's, um, I think they call them direct hours, direct, like, clinical hours with mm-hmm. clients. Like face-to-face, face-to-face direct face. services? Yeah. So it's 3,000 hours of those. Mm-hmm. I had a, a bit of a snag. Um, I would already be finished, but, you know, um, boards are sometimes a little difficult to deal with, and paperwork requirements change all the time. So I do recommend that you um, really stay on top of anything you send to a licensing board in your state, because things mm-hmm. get lost, things get... Um, counted wrongly uh, and then things change if you switch supervisors or things like that you can hit a lot of snags and roadblocks because bureaucracy and red tape is very difficult they make it really hard to become an LCSW in that way in that aspect Um, so I do recommend that you be very vigilant Mm -hmm. if you're sending paperwork into your boards if you're waiting for something like that uh, because I did hit some road bumps and I had to 
redo some of my hours. Mm -hmm. But I'm really close to being finished now, so I think I'll be done early next year. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Except that sucks, right? Cuz yeah. and it's common too. Like I know somebody else who works with us just like she submitted for her full license like she finished her 3000 hours and then she was missing like one thing on the application, yeah. like one little blank. And so they're like you have to send it again and you have to get a letter from your supervisor yeah. and all this stuff and it's like oh my god. So like Elisa's right. <laughs> if you, you know, send in something to the board like Write an email, make a call, like yes. do all the extra steps that you need to do to document, make sure. Document, document, document everything. Yeah, even like for my name change, I changed my name with the board, and I sent in an email. I was all like, "Let the record reflect <laughs> that on this day at this time, I sent in a mm-hmm. postmarked letter containing my fee and my application for a name change right. on this date." Always Whatever. send everything yeah. certified. By the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certified, Certified always. Mail. Don't just throw it in the mail. Mm-mm. No. No, yeah. And get the little receipt. Yes. And you can track it, make sure it got there, who received it, all that stuff. Yeah, it's important. So part of the other questions that I was going to ask you about just being an LMSW, working towards your LCSW, can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the maybe like difficulties other than like the snag with the board and like the having to paperwork. redo hours yeah like that's a hard thing to go yeah go is, over it is a hard thing um but i guess i'm talking more about like the work itself like have you you know you're you're doing therapy you're working with victims of crime and that's really difficult um yeah. because your population is 100 percent victims of crime it's not right. like oh just you know every few people or yeah for us it's maybe like 80 90 percent of people victims of crime for you it's a hundred percent so that extra 20 percent right and then you're working towards your clinical license have there ever been any times where you're like oh my god like what am i doing i know that um, before i ask you for your answer i'm willing to disclose that i have been close to burning out before and i think i have burned out before and i and not that i questioned my career but I was like, oh, my God, is this something I can do for the rest of my life? Like, right. holy well, moly. And, and, yeah? and I think in those moments, I'm extremely happy that I'm a social worker. Do you know what I mean? Just because mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. feel trapped ever. Mm-hmm. And I know I can. Just knowing that I can walk out and will probably find a job fairly quickly mm-hmm. makes me feel better about it. Uh, you know? Yeah, that's um, true. So I don't feel trapped or anything in that way. Um, no, I th- uh, it is, it has been very difficult. And I think at times, it's again kind of like the when I was talking about teaching and being kind of in it, and you're just not sure what's going on, and you know something's off, you know. And I think it's been a little bit similar um, in treating all victims of crime is that that's just become like my day-to-day normal, mm-hmm. right? So... I mean, most of the time, it's. I've never had a day where I thought, I don't want to be a therapist anymore. Um, but sure, I think that we all have days when we're like, oh my God, can I keep doing this particular thing, which is dealing with people who have so much trauma, mm-hmm. you know, um, that can certainly be difficult. I think that you wouldn't be human if you didn't have moments like that. Do you know what I mean? It'd be concerning. Right. Yeah, and, like, and I think I have also been probably this last... Because this is my third year now. Mm-hmm. And I think this year I have been tired and a little bit closer to burning out myself. And there's been moments where I have a hard time recognizing that. And and that's what I mean, like, the fog of it. Because when you're in it for a while, you're just like, this is the normal until you realize it's not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Until it's like, oh crap, like somebody says something or yeah. you hit this wall or like something yeah. happens to where it like shakes you and you're like, It does. Oh. And then you kind of have to make adjustments or take stock and reevaluate. Like, I'm, I think that uh, I'm so close to being done with my hours. I think right now I don't want to make any changes, but I recognize that in order to sustain what I'm doing, I'm going to have to make some changes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Like, there's always, I mean, and that's 
that's the other thing I think people need to be aware of is that these things take time. They take several sets of investments. So, for example, like getting your clinical license takes these 3,000 hours. Mm -hmm. And so you have to keep track of those hours. You know, you're 500 hours away or so. And you're kind of burning out. And so you're like in this in-between stage of like... I need to just hurry up and finish, but right. also like, yikes, this is hard. Yeah. What do I do? Um, and just understanding that there might be some times that you push through it, but in a healthy way, right? Like, mm-hmm. so making adjustments that you can make. So for example, if you have to put boundaries at home with your family or put um, boundaries at work with your current clients, like those are things that you can like work into your current situation. Like for example, with me, um, doing that student loan repayment program, and I talked about it in the last episode as well with the other the MFTs that I was talking to, and I told them like because they're in private practice, mm-hmm. and um, I remember when I was close to burning out a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm going to private practice, like I can't do this because we work in a nonprofit agency, right. right? And so it's a lot of work. The pay's not like you know the best, sure. and it's really hard really hard Mm. work and the population we work with and there's just a lot of trauma and like all these things right um and just the grants that we get like from the cac and like the child advocacy centers and like all the attorney general yeah exactly so like just the population we serve is really um you know they're really hurting and they need a lot of help and like i understand that and that's fine when i was talking to them i was telling them like i have one year left Like, I have one year left in that two-year commitment. Mm -hmm. Um, And technically, it's like 10 months, right? So I'm working at this pace of seeing at least 32 clients a week, Mm -hmm. right? I am done. (laughs) Like, at the end of the day, like, eight clients at least for four times a week. Like... Yeah, that's way too much. It's a lot. So I'm like, hmm, do I... What do I do? I mean, I can't quit because you'll have to pay back, like, 35% interest on top of what they gave you. Right. Which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, So they purposefully do that so that you can stay at the site and finish your commitment. Mm. Um, And I'm kind of like, I know that I can't sustain this level of work for another 20 years. Like, that's just not sustainable. Not sustainable. (laughs) Like, not going to happen without some cost, right? So I'm like do I, what do I do? So of course I know like I'm going to push through and get those 10 months done. But after I'm done with my commitment as well, I'm going to make some changes because that is just, it's too much. Yeah, it is too much. Um, Definitely. I will say that as far as clinical training, I really don't think I could have gone anywhere better because I just learned so much so fast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, you kind of have to when you're seeing um, the population that I'm seeing. Uh, but, I, you know, it's a like a very steep learning curve. Uh, or, I don't know how to express it, but uh, I think that if you want to be clinically solid, this is probably the best thing that I could have done because you just learn so much and so fast and you kind of have to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the social work program, so I guess the reason that you can't just go for a clinical license immediately, um, neither can we, but we have to complete the 3,000 hours. Right. But it sounds like the clinical training, a lot of your clinical training happens after you get out of the program. Right. Okay. Yeah, it does, because we're, social work is just, again, it's it's versatile and it focuses on a lot of things, so... A lot of the, like, for example, we learn to write policy. We learn to write, here, write a policy brief. We learn uh, um, to work in hospitals. We learn, um, you know, all this different stuff. And because it's preparing you to be able to do a lot of different tasks. And those of us who want to go the clinical route, you know, we also take, like, assessment and intervention classes. Um, Not, there, you know, two, two or three of those classes is never going to be as much as like what you learned in your graduate program where you basically only focused on that. You know, I'm never going to come out of a social work. Well, unless your program, my program did not have like a, 
some programs I know have a, an emphasis on clinical work, and you can choose between that or the other kind of social work. Mm -hmm. But my program didn't have that. Ours focuses on social work in the borderland. We learn a lot about that, a lot about the issues on the border and, and how to help people on the border and what resources there are and what challenges and all this stuff. But it's not like a clinically heavy program. Most of what I learned came from just doing it. Mm -hmm. And then the learning curve you're talking about, I think people need to be prepared for that as well. I think in any any of these careers, right, like you do have, there is some level of, I'm going to push you in the pool and you got to learn how to swim kind right. of thing. Um, there is some level of that with supervision, of course, and support, hopefully, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we hope for that. We hope that for you, you know, but like... Um, That's it do not try this at home moment. It's kind of like, don't try this without supervision and like good uh, support from your agency. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Do you think that we've covered everything that you need to say about being an LMSW, working towards your LCSW? You definitely have to want to do this to go through the process, I think, uh, because it is challenging and there are hoops to jump through, more hoops. Not just graduate school, but there's extra hoops. Um, but you know, I think that it's a it's a good it's a good thing, you know, because when you are responsible for uh, a human being, you know, for their mental health, um, then you should jump through those hoops. You know, you have like to take it. Like it makes sense. Yeah, you have to take it very seriously. It's not like you here go uh, talk to someone who has a lot of trauma good luck and hope we don't we hope that you don't mess it up right you don't want that you don't want people to go into it with that attitude mm -hmm. you want people to go into it understanding that um it's a it's a difficult job with a lot of responsibility and to take it that way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a lot of responsibility and that's a theme that i think we've covered in all the previous episodes with everybody else it's like you have to know that you are dealing with people's lives and you have to have some skill and you have to take it seriously, all that stuff. Any general advice, like for people who want to become LCSWs or they're currently in their LMSW? You know, just, I mean, you and you've heard this probably in previous podcasts, but just, uh, I would just, you know, get a really, have a good supervisor because that is really important to have a good supervisor that you trust and you're that you're going to um, talk to about not just the the easier things which is the more clinical stuff but that that person might ask you hey are you burning out and that you consider it for a second and go I'm not sure but I guess maybe I am because I've been feeling this way um, because you have to have a supervisor that you're willing to have those hard conversations with, you know, in order, because if you're not well, your clients won't be well. Um, so you have to stay well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, mentally and physically. Uh, and so be, you know, do the research. I know it's hard to find supervisors in this town, uh, you know, in El Paso where we live. It's very difficult to find a good supervisor. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I do have a good supervisor and it is, you know, it's it's critical that you do have good supervision and that you have, you know, um, you know, somebody that you can go to and talk those things through with. And, and just be careful. Again, all your paperwork, dot your I's and cross your T's because that's super challenging to get all that paperwork into the board. You know, if you're a social worker and you realize that therapy is not your thing, you have a lot of options. I do recommend you do something else where you feel more comfortable and where you are going to to show that, that best side of yourself. You know, don't feel like, well, now I started doing these 3,000 hours and even though I don't quite feel right in this role, I'm just going to push through. You know, don't do that because you have a lot of options and you will probably find that thing that you love you know, it, 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 you just have to look a little bit more and figure out what that is. This is not for LPCs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you have that moment probably in the beginning of graduate school where you could still decide that, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, we get exposed to it really right, early. Right, so that we're but like, we don't. So if, you're, mm -hmm. if, you'd, if your program isn't clinically heavy, but you've decided to go that route, and now suddenly you're going, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> mm. <laughs> don't go, you know, don't wait till you're finished with your 3,000 hours. 
um, for your own sake, and it's also if you're paying your supervisor, it's very expensive, right? But uh, and for your client's sake yeah, too, like for your client. Oh, be definitely. Able to tell. That's that's a given. The client part is a given, like definitely for their sake. But uh, you know, again, you've picked. If you are a social worker, you've picked a very versatile job. You're gonna find the thing that suits you well and that you love. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like hemmed in. Uh, due to this is what you had thought you had an idea in your mind and it's not how you thought exactly you know exactly well thanks for talking to me about it it was fun thank you for having me here I hope you all enjoyed that little glimpse into what it's like to become a social worker I wish Elisa the best and Godspeed in collecting all of your hours to become fully licensed For more information about social work or about my guest, please visit www.throughtheeyesofatherapist.org. I'm Crystal Martinez-Acosta. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Remember, our next episode is the continuation of the exploration of social work. Until next time.